Greetings, and welcome to Agape Fellowship, where we learn the Word of God verse by verse. We hope you are enjoying going through the truth from the Bible. We are studying chapter 2 of Matthew's Gospel, and we're looking at the visit of the Magi led by the star in our last episode. They acknowledged his arrival with expensive gifts that symbolized his royal status, priesthood, and even his death. The birth of Jesus was to be a time of rejoicing. Let's listen to the dramatic turn of events in this episode, continuing with verse 11. When they opened their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense. It was common, uh, especially in the East, that whenever uh, you came to a royalty or a person of great importance, you always brought gifts. You never came empty-handed. That's why even in the, in the scriptures, you know, David talks about him not coming to the Lord empty-handed, that he would not come to the Lord. He would not sacrifice something that did not cost him. That's why he bought the field of Ornan. And he said when he was willing, the farmer was willing to give him the land. He said, no, 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 I don't want it. I cannot give to the Lord, which did not cost me anything. When we come to royalty, such as God and his majesty, uh, we've got to be aware, cognizant of the fact that he is majesty. He's royalty. And as I mentioned earlier, these uh, the idea of the three wise men, and that's why, these three gifts and that's how they make that but there is no evidence that it was three and so they presented the gifts and they fell down and worshipped him and one, then thing about, one thing about the gifts is I, I, I look upon the gifts as how God takes care of his baby because uh, the shepherds probably bought some gifts and which weren't nearly as expensive I'm sure um, but that might have given Joseph enough uh, money to put a down payment on a house so he was living in a house being a carpenter. Yeah, yeah. it could be that. Or yeah, he, they needed the money to run away to Egypt for a bit. Yeah, yeah, because uh, he couldn't obviously stop and sell his house. He had to leave that night. Yeah, but, yes. he, but he had the gold and he had the frankincense and the myrrh so he could, uh, he could finance it. God, uh, God uh, made sure that there was some money there. And then there's a, somewhere in, where it's talking about the second coming. I don't remember where it is. But uh, they bring two gifts to, to God. And the two gifts are gold and frankincense because he doesn't need the myrrh anymore. He's not anymore. Correct. Yeah. Um, that is true. I have to find where that, verse, where, where that portion is uh, of yeah. those gifts. Um, let's move on. Verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod seeks to seeks the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Arise and take. So Joseph, that same night, see when it says when they departed, that same night, this angel shows up and says, get out of here. Because Herod is seeking to kill. Now, you've heard the phrase, Jesus was a refugee. Many of you have heard it. I've heard it. 
That is a pseudo statement. Jesus was not a refugee. Jesus was not running away from something like, you know, from to another country. They use this word, I've heard this, and um, where it is a statement attempting for those that are using to break the law. In other words, they're trying to play upon the religion to break a law to say it's acceptable to give refuge to something like that. But that's got no connection to this. It shows ignorance of the proponents when they use this person. Jesus was a refugee. Here's why. One, Egypt was also part of the Roman Empire, number one. So you, they were not leaving one country to run to another country. They were moving from New Jersey to Pennsylvania. Secondly, there is no law that disallowed the subjects of Rome to move from one place to another place. They were not breaking a law. They were just moving out of town because someone was coming to kill them. So that whole thing falls apart if you were to look into this. Now, this particular portion uh, about the out of Egypt, I called my son. The prophecy is from Hosea. Uh, let me read that portion from Hosea. Hosea 11, 1 to 4. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. As they called them, they went from them. They sacrificed to Baals and burned incense to carved images. I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by their arm, but they did not know that I healed them. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love. And I was to them as those who take the yoke from their necks. I stooped and I fed them. That is the full portion, Hosea 11, 1 to 4. The question is, what is Matthew trying to convey to us? I've read through many commentaries, but none of them suffice what they have to say, because there is another portion aspect to it, which we have to understand. This is how scriptures, the Jewish scriptures speak to us, even to this day. And so we must learn how Jewish scriptures speak to us. This portion, as you read, Hosea, as I read, and you've inferred here, is speaking about who? About the nation of Israel. Prophet is referring to the children of Israel who were saved from bondage. He's saying, look, I led them gently. I took the yoke off of their neck. They were sacrificing the body. In other words, Egypt was a place of idolatry and slavery and bondage and all of these things. And then I brought them out. I called my son out of Egypt. Let us read Deuteronomy 4, 32 to 35, shall we? Deuteronomy 4, 32 to 35. For ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether any great thing like this has happened, or any like it has been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as you have heard and live? 
Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great terrors, according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God. There is none other besides him. So he took them out by a strong and mighty hand. And this is the portion that is referred to in Hosea. And also here, God took them out from Egypt. The Holy Spirit leads Matthew to attribute the same verse to Christ Jesus. Why? Why is the Holy Spirit causing Matthew to attribute this to Jesus? I'll give you another example of similar one. You heard of the Adam, the first Adam and the last Adam? Yeah. Yes. What? It is referring to Jesus being the last Adam. The first Adam and the last Adam. For the first Adam had a reason, had a purpose that God had put him, and then came the last Adam to fulfill that purpose for which the first Adam was put. God took his servant Israel out of the land of slavery, bondage, and idol worship and brought him into a promised land to serve God, to be the light among the nations. And now God was calling his son, Jesus, in the same manner, just like first Adam and last Adam, in the same manner he's calling Christ to serve God, to be a light to the nations. The virgin birth is a, a similar type uh, prophecy, I think. Uh, it appears, when, if you're just reading the Old Testament, it is talking about the time back then. Mm. But, but uh, Matthew or Luke, I forget which one, you know, interprets it as, as the, the virgin birth. Right. Uh, so there are these allusions, uh, allusions to the old model and to Christ having come to complete, to fulfill that which was not fulfilled by Israel. We call Israel as a child, now Jesus in this place. To fulfill that prophecy, those things that God had intended to from the nation. So that is why Matthew makes a reference out of it. So when, when a Jewish person reads that verse, he understands all oh, we were to be that child, but we failed. We did not serve God. We did not become a light to the Gentiles. Just like Adam did not serve God and he fell away and the last Adam had to come to complete it. Likewise, the first Israel or the child, it's the son Israel, didn't fulfill it. So now he's called the second one. That's Jesus who has come to do this. Now, someone would say, wait a minute, Israel committed sin, he did all of that, and how can you infer that same to this Jesus who was sinless and blameless? How can you say these things that he had to be disciplined and he had to do these things and go through this? And why does he have to do this? There's another example when Christ Jesus does something, and it jars us when he does that, and he says something to say, let it be. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Maybe not. Let's read Matthew chapter 3, 13 to 17. 
Matthew three thirteen to 17 Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Notice this portion here. When we read this portion, look at John's expression, John the Baptist's expression, when Jesus comes forward, he says, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me? John understood that this is the sinless, that's the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And here is this one coming to be baptized. What is this baptism of John? Is it baptism? In other words, repentance and the demonstration of an inward repentance to that sin. And Jesus is coming to do that same thing. And John is saying, no, you, don't, you shouldn't be doing this. And what does Jesus say? Let it be for now to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, let's just, this is the way we should be doing it. This is the way everybody should be. So I'm going to do it on, on just like everybody else. I'm going to be in obedience to that same rule. And so even though he did not have to do it, he did it. So likewise, but the out of Egypt, my son shall be called. He didn't have to refer to that. But by referring it, he's saying that this Jesus has become that which the son, first son Israel couldn't be. Jesus has come to take on that role. What's the lesson in this portion? Christ Jesus is modeling something for us in this out of Egypt shall my son be called. When he says, follow me, Jesus is modeling for us the departure from idolatry, departure from slavery and bondage to sin. In that verse, what Israel couldn't do, Jesus is doing. Symbolically just like he did for first Adam and last Adam. Likewise, he's doing for this one, saying, out of Egypt shall, I be, uh, shall my son be called departure from idolatry, because that's one of the things that they practice in Egypt. Departure from idolatry, slavery, and bondage. Notice what was said in Numbers. I took the yoke from their neck. They didn't know it. So God is calling us as Christians also today that out of Egypt is something for us too. Is out of Egypt is a type of sin, a place of sin, a type of bondage. That's why all through scriptures, God warns the Israelites never to go back to Egypt. Did you notice that? All through scriptures, you will see, do not go back to Egypt. When the, even during the time of the, uh, um, the Babylonian exile, uh, during the time of Jeremiah, some went to Egypt and God's, and uh, through God, through Jeremiah said, don't go there because you're not going to get safety. You're going to get killed over there. And sure enough, it happened there. One of the rules for the kings of Egypt, I mean, kings of Israel was never to go back to Egypt. 
And every time he said, we want to go back to Egypt, God looked upon it uh, in a very poor light. And he did not appreciate that because God has pulled us out of Egypt, out of a place of idolatry, sin, and bondage, and saying, come, I'm giving and bringing you to a promised land. And so it applies to us. That is a lesson for us also uh, as we think about this portion. You know, you know what I notice here too is um, the Spirit, Holy Spirit descended on him. Yes. Right? Yeah. And it's, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that changes us, right? I mean, and, absolutely. And I think that the temptation is say, uh, to be like this, the Pharisees to say, I'm doing it myself, you know, um, and repent, repentance involves some effort, but you really need, we really do need to lean on the Holy Spirit at all times. I mean, it's just, absolutely. So I don't know. I just think, yeah. So, um, last portion on that, on that verse, he says, um, Herod will seek the young child. This is the angel talking to Jesus. I mean, to Joseph and saying, get out of here. Uh, before they went to Egypt, to so get out of here, is trying to uh, will try to destroy uh, the young child. If we are a child of God, we have the bullseye painted on our back. No doubt about it. We got the bullseye on our back. Satan will use every tool in his toolkit to destroy the child of God, to attempt to not to destroy, but to attempt to destroy. He has studied you and me more than we know it ourselves, more than we know ourselves. And he knows every chink in our armor. And he will attempt to destroy us using those things. Many times, I know I have felt, I'm sure that you have felt too. You may ask the question to yourself in the secret. He says, why do my troubles come in the area that I'm the weakest in? How many of you have felt that? I have. Where am I the weakest? That's where my troubles come from. Why is it because Satan will attempt to destroy us as a child of God. His objective is just destruction and he will use anything needed. Back to this 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry and he sent forth and put to death all male children who were in Bethlehem in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. He's referring to Jeremiah 31, 15, where Jeremiah is quoting about the event that is about to take place where destruction, the Babylonians are going to come and destroy all the children in that region. And it is now being fulfilled a second time. There was yet another time in the past where children of that age were destroyed. Do you remember where that was? Prior to the Babylonian captivity. Moses. That's right. Moses. Exodus one twenty two. Uh, Pharaoh said to all the midwives, destroy. And when the midwives wouldn't destroy, then he went out there and killed all the young ones, the young boys. 
Verse so 19. What, yeah. what does it say, Rachel weeping for her children? Because yes. in Jeremiah, it's talking about Judah going down. Correct. And uh, Rachel wasn't the mother of Judah and, and Benjamin. Yes, uh, that's right. Mother, I'm sorry, he was a, she was the mother of Benjamin. I'm sorry. Yeah, for Benjamin, who was. Yeah. She was. Um, uh, however, why is Rachel weeping? Because Rachel was the more beloved of Jacob's yeah. wives. Right? So he's referring to the most beloved of Jacob of Israel is weeping because the most beloved's children was gone. Yeah. So he's just referring to that that same kind of a thing. Here it is happening again. Uh, that it is happening. So yeah. It's also true. I think Rachel is buried in Bethlehem. In the story, Rachel dies in Bethlehem and is buried there as well. In buried in Bethlehem, I don't remember, but you're probably right. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. Verse 19, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought, to those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. When he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, Instead of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there and being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee and he came and dwelt in Nazareth that it might be fulfilled which the prophet, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now this Archelaus is the son uh, of uh, one of the sons of Herod the Great. Now, he is just as bad and ruthless as his father, Herod the Great. And when he heard it was Archelaus, he did not want to go back to Bethlehem, which is his hometown. And he decided to go up to Galilee, uh, into this little village where he was originally from. Uh, in Luke 1, 26, 27, you will see that they were originally from Nazareth. So they just go back to live there. By the way, Nazareth is a backwoods village uh, in the region of Galilee. Nazareth was unwalled. What do we know about Nazareth? It was unwalled and it had a very bad reputation. Nathaniel, in fact, wondered if anything good co could come from Nazareth. Do you remember that in John 146? Just can anything good come out of Nazareth? What was he saying? That this was a place, it was the dump, it was the wrong side of the track. In God's plan, Jesus was to grow up in an insignificant place without any reputation, in fact, poor reputation, a bad one. And that's where God wanted his son to grow up yeah. and become a young man. So it might be fulfilled, but spoken by that he shall be called a Nazarene. We look through scriptures, there is no specific reference um, to him being called a Nazarene. Uh, it's a Nazarite. We know about a Nazarite, wow, and they are called the Nazarene. Uh, now he's taken a Nazarite vow, which is to, he would not cut his hair, uh, he would not drink wine, he would not touch any grape products, and he would avoid any contact with anything that is dead. Uh, those are some of the requirements of taking a Nazarite vow, that you wouldn't cut any hair. Uh, now, we know that Jesus drank wine, 
Uh, we don't know about whether he cut his hair, none of that. But forget that. He was a consecrated, in that sense, he was consecrated that he set himself apart. Jesus was a unique person in that sense. Um, it's also, So we do not know exactly. There's only one verse in this scripture that talks about that. It is Isaiah 11, 1. And that too, by inference, um, that it's Nazir. Uh, or Nasser, uh, that is the only inference that we get that he is perhaps being called a Nazarene. There's another aspect to it, in other words, a Nazarene in the sense that he comes from the town of Nazareth, in the sense that he comes from a lowly place. Nazareth, the man, the Nazarene, thus the man from Nazareth, a town of little consequence. Um, that is the only inference that we have from scriptures. And so he shall be called uh, Nazarene. In the plan of God um, and God's Holy Spirit, Jesus was to be uh, raised on the wrong side of the tracks. Uh, and his followers were going to be called Nazarenes. He grew up there and he became a young man there. And then he launches into his ministry from Nazareth. Special baby of Bethlehem has drawn the attention of wise men who traveled afar following a star in the sky. The abrupt escape to Egypt, the slaughter of all the boys aged two and below, show how the rulers tried unsuccessfully to thwart the plans of God. God sent his son Jesus to this world because he loved us so much. Signing off now. Do join us for the next episode as we start chapter 3. God bless you all.